Hello, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. Today, my guest is Susan Weiner. She is the 2015 American Association of Diabetes Educators, Diabetes Educator of the Year. We're going to talk about many things in this program, but one of the most interesting things is a phenomenon called diabulimia. It's a catchy word, a play of diabetes and bulimia, but let's talk about it for a second. When you talk about diabulimia, what is it and what group does it hit? Diabulimia is a dual diagnosis that affects mostly young women with type 1 diabetes. As a matter of fact, we see a diagnosis of diabulimia, which is not a true recognized diagnosis yet, but it is very, very real, in about 30 to 40% of young women with type 1 diabetes who restrict their insulin in order to try to lose weight when they have type 1 diabetes. And it's a very complex disorder, which can lead to long-term complications, including DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, and other really, really challenging complications. You know, obviously, we have a physician and healthcare provider audience, and we deal with diabetics, and adolescents can be some of the toughest to deal with because they kind of play by their own rules at times. And I would imagine... This is word that might get out from one person to another, one teenager to another might say, well, hey, this is what I've done. I've lost weight. I feel like I look a lot better. Absolutely true. But we have to see why this dual diagnosis of diabetes and an eating disorder is so unique to someone with type 1 diabetes and is often overlooked. Because with type 1 diabetes, we know that insulin is life. And without insulin, you die. So When people realize that that when they first withhold insulin, that your weight can drop, usually due to dehydration, then they don't really care as a young person because they're looking towards being slim. But the issue, why it's very unique to somebody with type 1 diabetes, is that you have to constantly be in charge of your diabetes care. You're constantly counting carbohydrates. You're constantly looking what you're eating. You're constantly looking at numbers of what your blood sugar is. So they want a break from it sometimes as well. And this cycle of an eating disorder and just not wanting to deal with your diabetes anymore when you're a teenager can be a very dangerous and deadly combination. Yeah, one of the things I would wonder about, too, is the whole aspect of control. I mean, teenagers are striving for control. Part of the normal developmental process is you're getting older and you have more control of your life. And here they are in that period of time between being a child and an adult, and they've got this condition which makes them follow all these rules, and they feel like they have no control at all. And then all of a sudden, by controlling the insulin, they're starting to control their life, even with the risks. And there's no question, and when an eating disorder and your diabetes is something that you're dealing with every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until there's a cure for diabetes and insulin is your lifeline and you're rebellious, that's something that is absolutely going to come to the forefront. The other issue is when you start to restrict your insulin and your weight does go down a little bit and things seem to fit you a little bit differently, even though you don't feel good because you're keeping your insulin down and your blood sugars are riding high, some young women like the way that their clothes fit better and that kind of feeds into the whole eating disorder aspect. What happens, though, with blood sugar, and you brought up the word control, is that 
you're out of control because it leads to binging and under-eating and binging and taking insulin just enough to survive. So it's a very confusing diagnosis. Also, injecting insulin can sometimes cause fat pockets or lipodystrophy, and that reality for some young women with type 1 diabetes and the way they look has them withhold insulin in certain circumstances as well. You may have given a little insight for us as clinicians how you handle this as part of your explanation in the last question, and that was when you talked about the fact that they lose control when they're trying to have control because of this and the fact that they start to binge and they go through all those different stages. Do you kind of use that as part of your conversation when you're counseling teenagers, like talking about the risks, about how it can get out of control? But what's your approach when you have patients like this? It takes a village. It takes medical professionals, the physician, the dietitian, the certified diabetes educator, and the person with diabetes as well as part of the entire team effort. Many times with somebody who's young and a teenager especially or a young woman goes in to see a physician, an endocrinologist in particular, to look at their diabetes, they are also bringing in It could be a meter or some type of a shared device that is showing numbers. They tend to, and as a village and as a team, you're working with the patient with this, they will forget when they're going through diabulimia or an eating disorder and diabetes, they'll say, I forgot to bring my meter, which meant that they didn't want to share with you riding high with their blood sugar levels. Not being in judgment and listening to what they're doing is very important. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, your first response would be, why did you do that? Why? But you're, what you're saying is you just kind of go with it and you try to work with them. Always. The shame and the guilt involved with an eating disorder around diabetes is very real. Now, we need to remember that it depends on when somebody is diagnosed with diabetes. If somebody is misdiagnosed, which does happen often with type 1 diabetes, they may experience severe weight loss, right, at the beginning as one of the symptoms of that. When they are initially put on insulin, you will have an initial weight gain because of fluid retention. And also, when you are, um, before you're diagnosed, you're not receiving insulin, so your glucose is not being used as fuel, you tend to eat a lot of calories and your weight will still be low. Once insulin is given by either multiple daily injections or being on an insulin pump, your weight comes up. So they figure out rather quickly that if you restrict insulin, then, you, you know, then your weight's going to come down again because your glucose won't be used efficiently as fuel. So it's very important to listen and to observe what is going on. And if that information is not being shared readily, then something is happening. It's a fear of the gear. It's a fear of the gear that goes along with managing daily diabetes care. You know, one of the things that I always wrestle with, and I'm sure a lot of us as healthcare providers wrestle with, is you want to tell people side effects of a medication. You want to tell them everything you can about it. And sometimes you feel I'm giving them so much information, this could work against me. I mean, I might be putting a seed into somebody's mind that, oh, you're going to have muscle aches with this medicine or that this is going to impact some other aspect of your life. When you're talking about this with teens, probably by giving that information, you're not really letting the cat out of the bag. They probably have figured that out on their own or have some sense that by not taking insulin or by taking insulin later, they're putting the weight on. By not taking it, they lose it. It's probably just to bring it out front and discuss it is probably the best option. 
that's just a fantastic point because people who go through diabulimia, and again, this dual diagnosis of type 1 diabetes and an eating disorder, so many people who go through this feel like they're the only one who's figured out this secret. They call it the secret that they realize of manipulating their insulin and kind of riding on DKA all the time. They figured out kind of the secret to weight loss. They're tired of feeling different. They're tired of being the only one in a classroom that needs to eat a snack or test their blood sugar in the middle of the day. They don't want to be different anymore. They want to fit in. So watching everything that's going on from a psychological point of view, from a parental point of view sometimes, from the dietitian's point of view, from the physician's point of view, will all come together to help to figure things out. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Susan Reiner. Susan Reiner is the 2015 American Association of Diabetes Educators, Diabetes Educator of the Year. I also know you write a column, um, Diabetes in Real Life, and when you're trying to deal with these issues, have you found the written word to be effective? Oh, very effective. I set up my column, Diabetes in Real Life, in a Q&A format that we can discuss all different diabetes topics with different experts in the field, everything from using theater to talk about emotions with diabetes and chronic disease to sexual dysfunction and diabetes and depression and diabetes, just about everything that's out there. And it helps most of the physicians who do read the column love it because it gives them a great patient perspective as well. We only have about three minutes left in the program. I wanted to ask you if there were areas about diabetes in adolescence in particular that we didn't talk about that you think are important to bring up at this point. Keeping an open-ended discussion with teens is extremely important and giving them empowerment to do what they need to do while keeping a watchful eye with them can help a lot. And just because a teen with diabetes was I don't like to use the word compliant, but was doing what they were supposed to do when they were younger with diabetes doesn't mean the same is going to hold through in the teen years. So so be patient and be calm with them, but be on top of them and, and ask to see numbers when appropriate. Are there challenges that you've seen that we as healthcare providers should be aware of with our diabetic patients? And this may go beyond teens, others that maybe we're missing when we might be checking them in the office and kind of going through the day-to-day things with them? Some of the challenges may be that people feel very guilty and very shameful when their numbers are not what their health care providers would like them to be. So an open-ended discussion is very important because otherwise patients and people with diabetes are not going to share what is actually going on. I always like to use language, and I, I use language in a very specific way. I tell people the only bad number is the one that we don't know. So if you stay very non-judgmental, you can always come up with a different treatment plan. And one other thing I'd like to mention, with people with type 2 diabetes, it is a progressive disease. So a treatment plan that may have been working a year ago, different things may be happening in the body. Insulin resistance may be increased to no fault of the patient. It's a progression of the disease, and providers need to be aware of that as well when dealing with patients. I have one last question for you, and that is when we're talking about type 2 diabetes, we're noticing that more and more teens are developing, in fact, young adults are because of the obesity issue in our country. 
Are you starting to see the impact of the long-term effects of uncontrolled diabetes at younger ages? Absolutely. And when you have diabetes longer, especially when it's undiagnosed, you're going to have more complications as time goes on. Obviously, a higher blood sugar over a longer period of time can lead to more complications. In my practice, I work with entire families to improve eating habits and to be aware of what they're doing. And of course, other ways to become more insulin sensitive, such as being very physically active and to try to keep stress levels down and also something that often goes overlooked, which is getting enough sleep. Getting enough sleep is so important. With about 30 seconds to go, is there one final point that you'd like to bring up to wrap this up for us? People with diabetes should not feel judged or guilty or feel a lot of blame. Just take one small step at a time to improve your healthy daily behaviors and help improve your blood sugar levels. And don't be afraid to speak to your providers about any questions or challenges you may feel in your daily diabetes self-care. Susan Weiner, I want to thank you for joining us on Primary Care today. It was a real pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primary care today. You can download the podcast. You can learn more about the series. Thank you for listening and being a part of the knowledge.